the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Hello, all my baking friends. Welcome to another episode of Baked In Science. When I last spoke with Jerry Smiley, we left things off as we started to discuss sustainability and innovation and trends in the baking industry. Jerry is a longtime expert in various facets of the food industry, as well as roots in the baking industry. Jerry shared a lot of great information with me in our conversation. Let's jump back into where we left off with spent grains from beer brewing and baking. I think it's interesting, and I think this is our way to go at the sustainability aspect, the you know protect the planet thing on a practical way. You know, so again, back to what you said about theoretical, it's it's what can we do? I, I've got another example here for you too that I thought was interesting. There's a company called Regrain, which you mm-hmm. you may have heard of, and yep. they they get the spent grains from beer production, that kind of thing. Well, Puratos has just partnered with them to use some of those spent grains in bakery ingredients. So again, a really neat way to work towards sustainability. It takes not only the vision, but the willingness to invest in things like that, to take the chance that, you know, you're going to give it a year or two years, whatever it is. And then if nothing comes of it, then we say, okay, we tried and that's it. ADM has been in recent years, they've been getting there, but that was a big challenge in the early days, right? They were always just going after low hanging fruit and the current CEO, Juan, is a lot more innovative in that respect. And he often challenges the employees is saying, you know, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Or if if you knew failure didn't have any repercussions? So, you know, he's trying to get people to be in that more innovative mindset. You know, and I say that because this whole idea of the regrange came across my desk probably about 12 years ago, right? So there was a couple of us that really thought like, this could really have something. This could be really good, right? And, you know, it just like, well, you know, it was difficult to prove that there was an existing market for it, right? If if there was an existing market, it would have been easier in terms of justification of the investments. And Um, without disclosing some work that I've done for mm -hmm. ADM, but the specifics, but yeah, I did two projects for them that were saying, well, we're in this, but if we did this to those ingredients, we could be in this market, which is totally different than something we're doing now. Yeah. So there was that initiative on their part to say, let's look at something that might be new and different, or at least something that's already out there, but we're not playing in that we ought to be playing. Yeah. And sometimes with these, you know, going back to the mergers and acquisitions a bit and on the ingredient side, it's not unheard of, at least perhaps not always common, but sometimes a company A will purchase company B because of just one single technology. 
And yeah. once they've gotten the the secrets, if you will, of the jam, they'll just divest of the rest afterwards, right? What doesn't fit their business model or something. And we've seen some of that happen sometimes over the years. And, you know, we were talking about plant protein. It's just kind of leading into like what we see for trends and fads and stuff. And I personally feel some of it is in plant protein still. And I remember when one of the plant-based burgers first came out, and there was a lot of chatter and talk about how they were using beet juice in the burger to simulate the medium rare bloodiness and stuff. And people were going, oh my God, why would vegans want this? They're all against animals, right? Because they're not marketing to vegans. They're, Absolutely. And, and that is where the opportunity for plant-based is. Like you speak about yourself as people who are flexitarians, who reducing the amount of meat in their diet for whatever reasons. Some of it may be personal health. Other things, as you alluded to, is I can't remember the ratio, but if you take 10 pounds of soybeans, you will get, you know, eight pounds of protein, right? But if you take 10 pounds of soybeans and feed it to a cow, you'll get half a pound of protein and you're getting the methane gas and everything else on top of it. So it's those types of equations that is the polls or the statistics people are sort of seeing that that is what is sort of, especially with the millennials and Generation X and stuff, that's where they're leaning towards is more using their diet to protect the planet, so to speak. Right. So what do you see as sort of some of the trends emerging out of your interactions with people? What are going to be some of the fads you think that might kind of drop off? And what do you think is sort of going to be more of a mainstay? Yeah. So, you know, we, we talked a bit about nutritional food and, and food as medicine, yeah. I think is going to continue. And without disclosing, but I've been approached by at least three clients that have had an interest in that whole food as medicine kind of thing. And probably the biggest thing that's holding that up from right now is tr- trying to figure out what that means, mm-hmm. because there are some FDA regulations around certain things that become food. And then there's kind of that gray area. So, you know, like Ensure is one of those products. And that's one that people kind of understand. But there's other things out there that can address certain things. There's diets that go specifically for people who have cancer mm-hmm. and the dysphagia, you know, people with the thickened yes. beverages yep. and things like that. I think that's certainly going to be um, big going forward. We already talked about the sustainability. No doubt people are going to be buying that. And I've really been like that. I, you mentioned about the millennials and my kids are that way. But, you know, I've been composting for 32 years. <laughs> and so, you know, it's one of those things, you know, and I'm not some far left person. And I just think that was the right thing all of these years. Uh, because so, you lived in Toronto, that's why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was doing it before Toronto. Even. Oh, good I mean, for and, you, and, good for you. And we were growing crops. Our neighbors in the city, we were in inner city Chicago and our neighbors mm-hmm. called us the farmers because mm-hmm. we grew tomato plants and things like that because that was just kind of what we did. It was kind of fun in that regard. I think you're going to see more of that. I think there's a lot more movement towards those types of things. I think you're right about protein. I think there's a real focus right now on people getting enough protein and the right kinds of protein. The other one, which is maybe it's more of my hope than it is a trend as we get older. And I think we may have had this conversation earlier, you and I, is fiber. I mean, we Mm -hmm. as a society do not get enough fiber in our diet and that can lead to all kinds of health issues as well. I mean, not just health issues, but also you feel better, you know, you can feel fuller with more fiber. It helps with digestion. 
And there is some movement happening. I mentioned about the good wheat product that we were working on that has high fiber. I think that's the trend. The problem with any of these is that they can't be like single ingredient focus. So my mm-hmm. daughter was using something called F-factor diet yes, and she was yes, all into that. Yeah. yeah. And then you know, the more she got into it, the more she realized, I mean, this, you know, and I don't want to pick on another known diet that mm-hmm. was heavy on the protein, but you can't go at the expense of other items in your diet kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so it's just one of those that you need to have more fiber. You don't need to be fiber focused only, you know, and protein focused only. So which leads me to the one which I don't have a position on and I've noodled it around, but is keto. Is yep. is keto going to be a trend or is keto going to be a fad? And I spoke to my wife last night about it, and I can't come in and tell you what I think it is. Um, <laughs> I have you, a hope there. Yeah, I, I hope I it'll personally, be a fad because well, and if you put a gun to my head, I would say that keto is a fad. I see a lot of products and a lot more introductions on keto, but again, if you did keto only. Do we know what the health implications are if you were only on a keto for several years? Because everybody, you know, loses the weight. They do the things they want to do and stuff. But are they sustainable and are they healthy? The the only plus I see on keto is that I liken it to the similarity of the Atkins diet. That was very very low carbohydrate and high fat and high protein. One of the main differences with keto is that Atkins wrapped the fiber all into the carbohydrates. So that was the big problem is you weren't getting any fiber, right? So you were stuffing your gut with all this protein and nothing to move it through. And with keto, at least you get credit for the fiber in your carbohydrate calculation. So that if you're trying to get down below 20 carbs and this item has 25 carbs, but eight grams of fiber, you can take that fiber out. And now you're down at 18 or whatever. So that is a plus. I agree. Yeah, that is yeah. a plus. That gets complicated by another trend. And that's clean label. Because mm-hmm. if you're using a lot of ingredients, and even if they're healthy ingredients, consumers prefer shorter, easy to understand ingredient statements. And a term that I know is now readily understood, I learned a couple of years ago when I was doing some work, is somebody said cupboard friendly. And that, pantry you know- Pantry recognizable ingredients. Pantry recognized, <laughs> whatever you want to say. But, you know, if they can look at an ingredient and recognize all seven of the items on that list, mm. you know, even if there's some that are maybe a little chemical sounding, but at least they know of- they'll be more comfortable. But I did a project. I don't remember if it was for the plant-based people I did work for or not. I had two separate people. I only interviewed like 15 R&D people, but I had two separate R&D people said that they don't like, that consumers don't like ingredients with X's in them. Yes. And I'm like, well, wait, what about xylitol? I mean, xylitol is a natural sugar and Mm -hmm. it's a calorie reduced sugar and it's a great sugar but it's got an X in it. And, and um, gum I think the, the project one. had to do with dextrose. Yeah. And they're like, consumers don't like dextrose because there's an X in it. And it's kind of funny when you think about it, but I believe that to be true. Very true. Xanthan gum is another one that we've often oh, yeah. run up against in Clean Label, where it was on a no-no list simply because it has an X in it, even though it is produced <laughs> all through natural fermentation. You know, And then you mentioned dextrose. If you look at the molecule, all you have to do is, is if you put it in a mirror image, now it's glucose. It's the same thing, and the body processes it identically. It's really interesting. Sometimes I wonder if it's something in terms of Maybe that, you know, we've we've heard people when they talk about the education system and things that the home economic classes have have all but gone. And maybe that's something that needs to be brought back with opportunities to educate existing instructors or teachers or bring in new instructors and bring in teachers who are dietitians or nutritionists and things like that to help us be 
a little more generally informed about these things to understand them. There's one little daily clip that I listen to. It's this thing through Alexa called Volley FM. So you can make your own program, so to speak, of all these little clips. And most of them are only about two minutes long. There's this one as a daily nutritionist, and she presents things in a very fun, interesting, and exciting way. I listen to it also as a way to kind of capture ideas of how to communicate things to colleagues, industry clients, or other consumers and stuff. It's fine that I understand it, but why should I just get frustrated about that they don't understand it? We, we need to find ways to communicate. Yeah. Before COVID all happened, and when I'd been out on some of the circuit of conferences, right? So before COVID happened, and when I've been at some of the conferences, uh, like the what's now cereal grains dot or IFT, that's been a big part of what they're starting to talk about too. Is how do we communicate science to consumers in a way that it is, pardon the pun, digestible to them? We could have gotten ahead of a lot of these things like the non-GMO, and again, I don't want to wade into too much controversy, but high fructose corn syrup. If we could have communicated those, and again, you do not want to do it on a biased standpoint, but you want to present mm -hmm. the facts and yep. let the consumer make the decision. I mean, truly, if after you've presented both sides, say high fructose corn syrup, and you choose not to consume it, that's great. But if you let someone else dictate the narrative, you're going to be behind the eight ball. And yep. I think without a doubt, non-GMO, the food industry did not get ahead of that. Yep. And we are where we are. One last question I want to poke your brain with is you mentioned xylose and, and dextrose and things like that. And there's been for a couple of years now, this sugar reduction trend where mm -hmm. a lot of what was happening was people were going to simply looking at the sweetener aspect. And before it was things like ACE-K or sucralose and stuff. And now people were finding, well, stevia is more natural. Monk fruit is more natural, yeah. right? Although they have certain after notes and things like that. And that had pushed things to a certain extent. And then allulose came around. And at first it was, well, allulose came around this, around the same time as the added sugar labeling in the US came out. And so then allulose was determined to be a sugar because it is a rare sugar. And so if you had allulose in your product, you had to add it to the added sugars. But the petition was that it does not metabolize in the body the way sugar does and that it doesn't produce fats and it is less calories. It's only, I think it's two calories per gram. I don't remember four. the specifics. Yeah. And then about a year later, the FDA reviewed the petitions and everything and now allulose was no longer considered an added an sugar. added sugar, yes. And you're starting to see it in all kinds of things uh, and in baked goods and stuff. Do you, do you think that's something that a lot of bakers are going to gravitate or is that still going to be more of a beverage thing in, in that respect? I think it is exactly what you said. I believe that it will be the new sweetener. And I've already started seeing products with that, non-beverage products. And without disclosing um, anything, I have clients that have started looking at that. And, and yeah, I don't want people to look at my LinkedIn profile, but um, no, no, no. I was thinking my daughter works for a company that is using allulose. But yeah, so I think there's some movement towards that primarily because it adds fiber as well as it's not an added, added sugar. So it's a fabulous um, yeah. one, I think. And I think 
we're going to see more of those. The other one that I noticed that I'm seeing more now is chicory root is another one out there that's being used. And I kind of like these because, again, they don't have the X's in them. You know, And if people have done the research on them, they find to be pretty good. I personally like both of those. And I do like xylitol and erythritol, you know, even with those chemical sounding names, because I, I just like the taste better. I mean, I've tried stevia. I try to do calorie reductions. I make yeah. calorie free iced tea. In fact, I'm having some now. The problem is the stevia and the monk fruit, I just can't get around. I have to blend them with real sugar. The I just monk can't. fruit is, is not too bad if it's balanced properly with something like a stevia. Most of the stevia that's out there is Rebbe and Rebbe. And that has this strong licorice afternote. Exactly. Right? There are Which some I hate, by the way. that are still under research because I'm aware that ADM has actual contract with growers in China for stevia leaf. And there's other ribocytes that are supposedly in the wings that are exactly. not going to have all of these after notes. But the other aspect, of course, is making it commercially viable. It can't it can't cost 10 times more than Rebe, yeah. right? And so it's one of those things too. But yeah, I'm totally with you there. I'd almost take sucralose over stevia. <laughs> and honestly, I will tell you, I've gone back and started consuming Diet Pepsi mm. just because I, I like the taste. The one that I stay away from, I've pronounced it both ways, but aspartame or aspartame, Aspartame. You know, and again, I should be more of an informed consumer. I know there's some negatives about it. I should do more research, but I do try to stay away from it. It's yeah. just that simple. But if I see Ace K and, and sucralose on the, the ingredient label, I'm fine. Again, not something I'm going to have a lot of, but if mm -hmm. I see the other ones that I like, I'm, I'm much more excited. It's all a balance, you know, and it's sort of like I was a big consumer of both Pepsi Life and Coke. What was theirs called? <laughs> they were the ones that had sugar and stevia and uh, i like okay. those because yeah. you know mm -hmm. it was i was getting a pretty full coke taste with mm -hmm. two-thirds of the calories and mm -hmm. i was willing to do that as an exchange yeah but that, they're both gone that's manageable yeah 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 because a lot of people just simply wanted no calories or the real deal so to speak yeah right? jerry thank you very much for coming on this has been wonderful this has been far more than i had expected or hoped to get from you and just been fantastic and i'm sure we're going to find more topics to discuss in the future and maybe we'll make this like a quarterly review of things that are happening or oh something i hope like so that, right so thanks again i really appreciate your time with us thank you so much for yours Thank you for joining me on this episode of Baked in Science. That was a very interesting and thought-provoking discussion on trends and innovation we can expect to see in baking. Don't forget to join us in our Baking Industry Professionals group on Facebook for lots of discussions on troubleshooting, inspiration, and all things baking. For learning more on the ins and outs of specific aspects of baking, visit the Baker Academy of Bakerpedia with plenty of free information and self-paced, very reasonably priced short courses you can take to get certified. Until next time, I'm your Baked in Science podcast host, Mark Florka. Happy baking!